Good morning. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship. Let's talk following Jesus. To follow is to go, proceed, or come after, to engage as a call or a way of life. To follow Jesus is just that. We follow him as a way of life. Now, to make this simple and clear, consider a very simple expression from beloved New Testament scholar and theologian N.T. Wright. This is what he comments. Think how you'd feel if you saw the person you love best in the entire world, whom you hadn't seen for years, walking down the street. What would you do? Why, well, you would chase after that person, of course. That's how you should behave when you think of coming after Jesus and the new life that he's offering you at this very moment. What a beautiful picture of follow. Why would we not come after Jesus like that? Passionately, lovingly, not begrudgingly or hesitantly. Jesus offers abundant life. Why would we not run after him? Now that's following. Why would you not want to hand him your whole life and say, Jesus, your way is best? But sadly, many people stop short of truly following him. In fact, many people assume they're following, but they're actually trapped in a misunderstanding about following. Today, uh, with God's word and from a conversation Jesus had with an individual, we will work through some of these misunderstandings. Welcome to the conclusion of our teaching series, Follow. I'm really excited that today we get to hear once again the call of Jesus saying, follow me. From Matthew 19, verse 21, the story of the rich young ruler comes to our lives. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, all three present this story. Now, a side note for the Bible student is this. The three Gospels mentioned are categorized as synoptic Gospels, for they're built on similar details of summaries and sequences of events in our Lord's life. They're more descriptive, whereas John's gospel is more reflective. Uh, but, but back to the story, looking at the synoptic gospel's account of this conversation, we're informed of the one Jesus invited to follow him. According to Matthew's gospel, he was young. According to Luke's gospel, he was some type of ruler, so very successful. And according to all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he was rich. And this rich young ruler, perhaps the first century's version of a progressive, entreated Jesus with a question. He did what so many do today. He approached Jesus on his own terms and not on the basis of who Jesus truly is as Savior and Lord. He came to Jesus with a question. What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Matthew 19, 21. From this conversation, we're presented with some common misunderstandings that can keep one from truly following Jesus. For in the end, the young progressive heard Jesus' invitation to truly follow, and unlike others we've read about, he said no. At that moment, he chose to keep his life, which in the end meant he would lose his life, a life separated from God. So today, we must learn what can stand in the way of one truly following Jesus. So let's work through these common misunderstandings made evident in the rich young ruler's life. First, personal goodness. Personal goodness can stand in the way of one truly following Jesus. Now, from birth forward, we learn to be good people. But from within Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler, there is a misunderstanding of the importance of personal goodness. In the mind of this one to whom Jesus speaks, the assumption is that the suitable response to following Jesus is to simply try and be a good person. 
This can become a huge obstacle in the way of truly following Jesus. When I look at this narrative closely, I sense that the young ruler perceived he and Jesus were compatible concerning being a good person. From the harmony of the Gospels, we notice that he called Jesus a good teacher and also inquired as to what good thing he could do to achieve God's approval. The young ruler's inquiry reveals a confusion, a misunderstanding not too dissimilar to how many people think today. What good thing must I do to go to heaven? This reference to eternal life or heaven actually references a life approved by God and the life to which access to the kingdom is promised. So this young progressive asked Jesus how he himself can become secure in God's kingdom. What good things can I do? This becomes the initial question of the conversation. You know, and many fall victim to this misunderstanding today. Following Jesus can falsely be seen as the equivalent of doing good things and sadly reducing Jesus' life to a source of good ideas to live out when possible. But being a good person and carrying out good things does not necessarily confirm one truly follows Jesus in a relationship. Hear this truth from another perspective as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, this is what Jesus taught. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Jesus continues, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, Jesus said, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount differentiated between those who are of him and his kingdom and those who are not. So so look at this. Consider the people of false confessions. There are many who call Jesus Lord, but the words are not sincere, for their hearts are not surrendered to God. Therefore, they're false in their confession. Consider people of false performances. These are the ones who do really good things, but not for the sake of Jesus, for they do not truly know him. Consider people of false power. Sometimes people use human powers, and sadly, maybe even dark powers, and pass the work off as God's power. Did we not drive out demons in your name, some will say to Jesus? But the power is false. There are those who call out to Jesus and to God and seem to be divinely employed by heaven itself, yet never having known Jesus, they consequently fall under his final judgment. Jesus said such deception is not only possible, but present. There are those who do good things but never truly follow after Christ. This is overwhelming proof that good things said and done do not necessarily define a follower of Jesus. Thus, one's attempt at goodness can stand in the way of following Jesus because the good acts may convince us we're doing enough. Oh, please move past this misunderstanding. Do not simply strive to be a good person. For this does not assure that you're following Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you'll certainly do good things, but just because you do good doesn't mean you're following him. Personal goodness can stand in the way of seeing the need to truly follow Jesus. A Christ follower good deeds doth not make. Above the entryway to the concentration camp at Auschwitz uh, during Nazi Germany, were these words, or beat mock fry, which means work makes free. Work will liberate you and give you freedom. But this was a lie, a false hope. The Nazis made the people believe that hard work would equal their freedom, but the promised liberation was actually a horrifying and suffering death. 
or be mocked fry. This is also a spiritual lie of this age. It's a satanic lie. It's a religious lie. It is a false hope and an impossible dream for many in the world. For many believe their good works will be good enough to outweigh their bad works, but that's a lie. Only the blood of Christ liberates. He died in our place and we're free. We follow in response to this love. We follow our Savior. Do you see the relationship? This is the point of following him. We've been redeemed to walk with him. Oh, I hope you've not stopped short of following him by relying on personal good works. There's a second misunderstanding from this conversation about following Jesus. Not only does personal goodness get in the way, as the rich young ruler has shown us, but basic obedience can get in the way as well. Basic or superficial obedience can stand in the way of one following Jesus. And notice this. Jesus often responded to questions from others with a question from himself. Well, this is how our Lord taught here. After the young man asked what good thing he could do, Jesus responded, Why do you ask me about what is good? You see that in verse 16. In Mark and Luke's gospel, the man referred to Jesus as a good teacher, and Jesus responded, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Jesus knew this young man had a grasp of the Ten Commandments, so Jesus challenged him with this. Why do you ask me what is good? Signifying, you already know what is good. In verse 17, Jesus said to him, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, this was a challenge and not a bypass of grace. Jesus then identified five of the commandments. If you're counting, the commands Jesus referenced are, are items five through nine as listed in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 through 16. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give a false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave a mix of both prohibitive commands, the don't do's, and the exhortative commands, the do's. Perhaps in both categories, Jesus knew that the young man touted obedience, but only at a legal level and not a heart level. I found it interesting that he, in even some extra-biblical literature of this encounter, uh, Jesus is seen rebuking the young ruler for claiming to love his brother when many of them were dying of starvation. Well, as we look into the biblical text, when Jesus concluded the listing of the commandments, the young man responded, well, I've done all of these. What am I still lacking? You see, the language here reveals an uneasiness in the young man. What am I still lacking? Wow. Do you see this? A young man with affluence and authority, a progressive, admitted that he is successful with stated commandments from the Mosaic law, but realizes after Jesus' challenge with the law that something's amiss. His uneasiness reveals an instinctive human awareness that legalism with the law, trying to obey the rules, falls woefully short of what God has intended. While standing in front of Jesus, this young man realizes that a rote, routine, and memorized life with the law is rather empty. Sadly, even beyond personal goodness, many individuals become like this young man and hope that by fulfilling some of the commandments in some way, one can become acceptable to God. This approach to legalism gets in the way of following Jesus because even as the narrative seems to indicate, something's missing. And if we're not careful, the inclination to check off things can cause us to assume that obeying the commandments is enough. Even if not the Ten Commandments, we have our own roots to obey that can bring the false assumption, I follow Jesus. Church attendance, trying to read my Bible daily, and on and on. And sometimes obedience becomes superficial, for it's only basic as if we're thinking just enough to get by with. What all that one has is the act of obedience instead of heart obedience. This young man 
has already said, I'll be a good person. And now he says to Jesus, I can keep some of the commandments. But in the end, there was something significantly missing. Please understand, basic obedience, superficial obedience to some of the commands does not automatically indicate one follows Jesus. I think you'll like this. A new report from the Global Wellness Institute, a nonprofit focused on research in preventive health and wellness, found that Americans spend $264 billion on physical activity. This was reported in 2018, more than any other nation. We spend a lot of money on, on every segment of fitness, including fitness classes, sports and recreation apparel, footwear, equipment and supplies, mindful movements like yoga. $10 billion was spent on yoga. Uh, related technology, on and on again. And according to the academic journal, The Lancet, for all of this spending, we ranked 143rd globally for active participation in act physical activity. More than 40% of Americans failed to meet the global standard of 115 minutes per week of moderate physical activity. Our culture has all the basic requirements met, and we are no better off, in fact, worse off than many other nations. If this is tragic in physical training, how much more tragic in spiritual training, that we can have all the basic foundational elements of obedience in our lives and be no better off than, than the next person. So you and I must resolve that, that whether we are like King Saul and try to please God through sacrifices or whether we're truly obeying God from the heart, God himself has said to obey from the heart is better than sacrifice. A third misunderstanding Partial surrender. Partial surrender stands in the way of one following Jesus. Jesus responded to the young man, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your belongings, give to the poor. This represents the three pillars of Jewish faith, prayer, the Torah, and acts of kindness. So possibly Jesus referenced this Jewish heritage to note that this call to give should not be a surprising expectation. But nonetheless, this was not what the rich young ruler expected to hear. Perhaps he thought, sell all I have. Well, I'm sorry that I ask. Although uh, legalistically, um, a requirement to divest oneself of all possessions is not a necessary requirement of entrance into heaven. For this specific person, Jesus' words tested his willingness to place God's priorities first in his life. You remember the story of Abraham, Genesis 22, who was called to sacrifice his son. God did not want Isaac dead. He wanted Abraham's heart. Jesus did not want the young man's wealth. He desired the young man's heart. But the young man's unwillingness, as recorded in Matthew, speaks for itself. Jesus said, if you desire to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, Matthew 19, 21. The idea of perfection here reflects that which is carried in the Old Testament, undivided loyalty and full-hearted obedience. This young man could not face such a calling. He was willing to discipline himself to observe all the outward stipulations and even perform more than was required. But there was something competing with his heart. For him, it was his wealth. This caused division in his heart. And thus, he turned away and could not follow Jesus. All of his formal compliance with the law became worthless because none of the commitments demonstrated absolute self-surrender. He could not resolve who will win, Jesus or money. So in this case, his money won. The narrative concludes in verse 22. When the young man heard the command, 
He went away grieving, for he had many possessions. The misunderstanding is that we can follow Jesus with partial surrender. But Jesus said, sell it all. The call was not exclusively to generosity with money. The call was generosity of life, a heart fully surrendered to Jesus. We may think we follow Jesus by giving some of our heart while holding back what we're unwilling to give up. But Jesus does not define following him with partial surrender. He asked for the whole heart. If following is not accomplished with personal goodness, basic obedience, and partial surrender, then what defines following Jesus? In Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24, we read, And whatsoever you do, do it with your whole heart as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. In Matthew 6, 24, we read, No man serves two masters. And in Ephesians 6, 6 through 7, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The question is, does he truly have all of your heart? That's where you start. The great reformer Martin Luther said, faith is the yes of the heart, a conviction on which one stakes one's life. Did you hear that? Faith is the Yes, of the heart, a conviction on which one stakes one life, one's life. How do we truly follow Jesus? We follow him with a yes of the heart, not a yes of the mind, not a yes of, of partial basic obedience or partial surrender. We say yes with our heart. I pray today, as I've prayed this entire series, that you could have in your own life, redefined by God himself, the true picture of one who follows Jesus. Following him is not about religious activity. Following him is not about gaining a religious reputation. Following him is not even about mimicking the life of Jesus as if he gives us ideals that we copy when convenient. Following Jesus is about saying yes to him every moment, with every breath, with our whole heart. Faith, following Jesus, is the yes of the heart. Are you following Jesus? I'm so glad that you've been a part of this teaching series, but none of what has been taught and said matters unless at this very moment you resolve this question, are you following Jesus with all of your heart? I'd like to pray with you. And, and I, I pray that God will give us an opportunity at this very moment, in the quietness of your home, wherever you may be at this moment, I pray that God will give us an opportunity right now to allow him to do a, an inventory in our heart so that we might discern if we're following Jesus only outwardly with our preferences, or if we're truly following him with a fully surrendered heart. Can we bow for prayer? While you're there and your head is bowed and your eyes are closed and you're praying and you're, you're focusing on Jesus, ask him to show you where you have held back some of your life. Help him to show you where you've not allowed him entrance. Perhaps there's a relationship or a, a failure, a a moment of shame you've not been able to surrender to him. Maybe there are some priorities and passions you just can't let go of. Oh, I pray that right now you'll simply, with reckless abandonment, 
Say, Jesus, take it all. Take all of me. I truly desire to follow you. If you've never prayed and invited Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior, you can pray this prayer now. In fact, I ask you just, just to look at the screen and follow this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I know you died on the cross for my sin. I, I repent of my sin and I, I turn to you completely and I give my life to you. I hope that you've prayed that prayer at this moment or I hope sometime in your life you've made that step of faith to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right now, let's ask Jesus to give us the strength and the opportunity to follow him with our whole heart. Jesus, I pray that as this broadcast concludes, as this teaching series concludes, that our hearts will be changed completely concerning what it means to follow you. I pray for those who are praying and inviting you into their life for the first time. I pray for those Christians who struggle with following and how they're calling out to you now and asking for your help and, and asking for your forgiveness of areas they've held back from you. Oh God, do an incredible work in our lives, I pray, as we understand more deeply and more fervently what it means to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching series. I'm glad that I could share a part of this teaching series with Pastor Scott. We've heard some incredible truths throughout these weeks. And, and we pray that as, as, as you uh, back away from this broadcast today, that you'll let God himself guide your steps as you daily desire to follow Jesus. Stay around for some great announcements, and I'll see you very soon. God bless you. Love you a lot.